0: You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Hey, uh, I don't know know about you, but I love previews at the movies. I mean, I'm the sort of guy that wants to get there about half an hour beforehand. Extra large coke, popcorn, get in, no one else is in the theatre. Curtain is still up there in the theatre. I love watching the previews. And because uh, previews are great, aren't they? They just give you thirty seconds, uh, just to snip it, and thirty to sixty seconds of uh, a story that is far deeper, far more amazing than you could ever imagine. And I wondered if the book of Acts was a preview, it would probably go something like this. And just imagine uh, one man, once dead, now alive, as he takes two, maybe three, no, twelve of these no-hopers and turns them into the leaders of the greatest movement the world has ever seen. Faith, love, perseverance, opposition as they go to the ends of the earth. <laughs> God's, God's God, does, God has created a trailer, a preview for the greatest story that has ever, ever been told and you don't go to the cinemas to go and see them, you go to his church. And what I want to say to us tonight as we come to the end of the book of Acts that this is one of these previews, and I always love it, don't you, when you see the blind side or something like that, that they say based on a true story. <laughs> and we come to a preview tonight of the most incredible story of transformation based on a true story. And when we reach the end of the book of Acts in chapter 28, we see that boldly and without hindrance, Paul preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the last line. And what is really amazing about this story is that if you're the sort of person that likes resolution in your plots, then it's not going to make you all that comfortable. Because the book of Acts, a picture of a man sitting in a house, preaching the gospel, is all that Luke leaves us with. Did he he die? Yes. How did he die? We don't know. Uh, Could we speculate it all night? Yes, maybe, perhaps. But what Luke is doing is inviting each and every one of us in to become part of this continuing story. And so, ironically, this is not the beginning of the end. This is just the end of the beginning of the greatest story that is ever told. If you've got your Bibles with you tonight, turn to the last chapter of the book of Acts in chapter 28. I'm going to take just two snippets of chapter 28. It's a long one. Verses 16 and then 30 through to 31. Verse 16, it says, When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. And then in verse 30, it says, For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, up until this point, we have focused on the Apostle Paul right through from chapter 20 all the way through to chapter 28 in the book of Acts. He's been falsely charged. He's been jailed. He's been abused. He's been through five trials. He's been shipwrecked. And now here he is in Rome, sweet Rome. And, 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 and Rome, the largest and the most splendid of ancient cities, because Ro- Rome was the capital of the, of, of the Roman Empire. It was one of the world's greatest cities ever. Some have said its founding has been called the grandest political achievement ever accomplished. And after all these events, 25 years later, Paul finally was able to address the church in Rome with his gospel, with his good news about Jesus And if only Rome could be thoroughly evangelised, he must have thought, then what an incredible spot for the gospel to radiate outwards. Because for a Roman or to a Roman, the city of Rome was the centre of the world. From the golden milestone in the Forum at at Rome, roads went out in all directions to all parts of the empire. And yet to a Jew from Tarsus, Rome was literally the ends of the earth. And so now, read, now our reading tonight, it's, it's much shorter than many of the narrative passages that we've read before and I've done that deliberately for a reason because, uh, why? Look, have, have you ever seen those, um, you know those funny pictures where you take a particular picture and then you put them in with thousands of other photos and if you step back far enough it actually creates another bigger picture? You ever seen them around? Really clever stuff with digital technology these days. Uh, I, I want to do that with the book of Acts tonight, my intention is not to exposit the 28th chapter of Acts, work out what colour was the walls painted in Paul's house and how did he die and where did he die and what happened. I want us, given that we've, this is now our second year in the book of Acts, really uh, instead just give an overview of what we have seen in the book of Acts. And you see, the important thing to remember is that the book of Acts is actually not about Paul. But it's the unfolding of one phrase from one man in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 from Jesus himself where he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I mean, we see a range of different characters and all of that. But look, here's the thing with characters in a story. I I I don't know about you, but if you've seen my Facebook, I got the Star Wars Blu-ray DVD collection this week. I'm loving it. I've already been into the bonus material. You know when they have that bonus material, and you can you see all the interviews with the the director's commentary. And or you see all these special interviews, and I went in, and and there was no interviews from from um, from Carrie Fisher or Harrison Ford or Mark Hamill, who's Luke Skywalker, if you didn't know that. Um, <laughs> there was there was no interviews with any of the characters, and I'm thinking, why are there no interviews with any of the characters? And it, it, it's it's for this reason, you know, you want to you want to you want to set a character up and say, look, what was your intention with the twist here in the story, and and why did you put why did you why did your character go through all this here, and and why did this happen, and, and the, the the actor's just going to look at you and go, I don't know, ask the one who wrote the script. Now it would have been the same for Paul. If we could have set Paul up in one of those Channel Seven, you know, the lights in, you know, to the ends of the earth movie backdrop. At the end, Nelson Aspen, um interviewing him, saying, "Paul, why, why did you go through the shipwrecks? Why did you go through uh, the the beatings to the, the within an inch of your life? Why why did you wander around half of Europe before you ever did anything?" And and Paul would have said, "If he's here today, I don't know. Ask the one who wrote the script." You see, we can look at the characters of Acts, but what we see here in behind the scenes documentary is that what we discover in Acts is that the primary actor in this book is not the apostles. The primary actor in this book is not James, and it's not Peter, and it's not Paul. It's God Himself, it's the author of the script. It's, and so when we ask what is the meaning of the true story behind the Acts, look, Acts tells us not so much, and it does to some degree tell us who we are and what the church is about and how the church should operate and what the world is, but it tells us most of all who God is. And what we see in Acts is that our God is a missionary God. Our God is a sending God, a, 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 a God who from a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away... no. No, in, 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 Acts, in Acts, we see a, a God in mission. Mission stems from God first and foremost, if we want to talk about that. And that is the overarching theme of the book of Acts. And it means, well, what is God's mission? Verses 30 to 31, it says, Paul is preaching Jesus in the kingdom. It says, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. And boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean that Paul's preaching Jesus in the kingdom? At the the broadest level, the plot summary goes like this. What he's saying is he's preaching a story that says, I have broken into the world. This is God saying, I've broken into the world to rescue and restore it. And so when you talk about mission, it's easy to get caught up in the details. On one side of the fence, it's like the orphans and the hungry and the sick. And on the other side of the fence, on the conservative side, is the preaching and the teaching. And, and, And look, what is... A Christian do anything in regard to mission of of course it's to reach out to the sick but you know the Macquarie Center I saw the body shop can can do that just as well the body shop can do social justice just as well as the church and of course it's to preach and to teach but Anthony Robbins can preach and teach a heck of a lot better than I could you see any any Christian why, why why do we do anything in regards to mission our mission is get is to get the world to believe Jesus's mission and, and, and whether it's in deeds of justice or words of teaching or in community, everything we do as a community is to get the world to be in love with Jesus' mission. And, 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 and that is that, that Jesus was not just born, but he was sent. That he wasn't some guy who was born into the world to teach people how to love each other and be nice and live in community with one another. But he, not that, that he was not just born, but he was sent by God himself. And everything that we do as a community is to convince the world that one of the most, in fact, the most significant person in human history was sent from God. And why is this such a big deal? Because the gospel is so sweeping. The, go- you know, the funny thing about the gospel is the gospel is it's far more optimistic than the religions of the world, and it, it's, it's far more pessimistic than the non-religions of the world You see, Christianity is far more optimistic than most of the world's religion because when most of the world's religions look at life, they say, well, you can't fix this mess and you've got to escape the world. And so if you live a certain way and you're with God and you do the right things, then just bide your time and then you're going to float away off into the clouds. But, but, but mostly the, the purpose of world religion is to escape. That's, that's, it's, it's, it's pessimistic approach to life. It says this world's an illusion and it's not important. It's a place where you connect for a period of time, but if you do the right thing, you're going to go on to some better things one day. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's pe- pessimistic. So Christianity is more optimistic than the world's religions, but it's far more pessimistic than non-religions, than, than secular people. There's secular people that says, you know, come on. please the, the 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 physical world's broken you see the secular world says look it's the michael jackson heal the world principle you know we can just um make this world a better place for you and for me and the entire human race you know it's it's the heal the world stuff and if we just band together and if we just cure poverty then all this stuff we can fix it and christianity says come on have you have you have you seen the world it's broke. There's there's decay. You know, sadly, as we heard tonight in the testimony, there's physical decay. There's social decay in the violence that's going on around the place in this city at the moment. There's psychological decay with the mental health problems that our our country is facing. There is something deeply wrong here. The the, the gospel is far more pessimistic than the sort of heal the world optimism of non-religion. But here's the thing, yet the gospel, the whole Bible says, in spite of its brokenness, God loves this world. And the, and the prophets of the Bible say someday the Lord Himself is going to come to heal the physical brokenness and the social brokenness, and the psychological brokenness. God is God is is coming to fix it up. And the mission of God is this: is that He's not going to abandon this world. He's come to rehab the world. He's come to rehab the world. When God appeared in the flesh in the person of Jesus, He broke the barrier between this sort of real and ideal that religion and non-religion has. You know, the ideal becomes real in Jesus. He dies on the cross and he breaks the barriers of brokenness. He, he rises from the dead and he, he, he breaks the barrier of, of, of the brokenness of death. What's he doing? Jesus says, I bought the kingdom of God, not through politics or technology and not through legislation and free markets and democracy, through anything except, except I came and I died. You know what Jesus was? He was a blues brother. He was Jesus. He said, "I am on a secret mission from God." You know, Jesus considered himself one sent on a secret mission from God—a divine conspiracy, as Dallas Willard puts it—and Jesus himself reveals the most incredible and unique thing about Christianity, and that is, Jesus says, "I've, "I've come on a rescue mission from God, and I call you to join me." And so if, if, if you're a Christian, the unfolding of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jerusalem, Judea, ends of the earth, my witness, it means if you're a Christian, that means you too. And so uh, th- there's two implications of this tonight. If God is a God who is in mission, if God is a missional God, then there are two implications for us tonight. There's a corporate implication and there's an individual implication. You see, there's a corporate implication for us first. Look, one of the questions lots of people ask around the place is, what is the role of, of the church in, in, in mission? God's mission. And some people say, look, you don't need the church. I'm passionate about trafficking and I'm passionate about poverty and I'm passionate about orphans and the church does a hopeless job at that. And I don't need the church. I'm going to do this myself. But what, what I want to say, here's the thing, what I want to say tonight is, is apart from the church, you're not going to be effective in mission. Here's why. You know, Jesus in John chapter seventeen, verse twenty-one, he prays for his followers and says to the Father, "I pray that all of them may be one." Why would he say that? Because mission is not an individual exercise. And in in verse 21, you know, he's, he's saying, just as you're in me, I'm in you, may they also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me, so the world might believe that you have sent me. You hear that? It's saying that the world will believe that Jesus was actually a blues brother on a secret mission from God and that we are too, not by the level of our individual activity, but by the level of our corporate unity. Mission is not an individual exercise. And so, you know, what what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? You're the light of the world, but what does he say? You're a city on a hill. Ever thought it's very difficult to be a city all by yourself? It means it's very hard to be effective and attractive to the world by yourself. There's nothing attractive about one person going nuts for the kingdom of God. You call them fanatics. (laughs) But, Genuine, loving communities, on the other hand, that are showing the world how to do life, you know, um, money and relationships and, and, and power from a kingdom perspective. Now, that's a different story. So the, what, it, what it means for us tonight is that the quality of our community here will be the secret of our mission. I've said that before. Mission's not an individual activity, but it's done in corporate unity. And apart from the church, you're not going to be effective in it, as effective as you can be. I'm not saying you can't do mission totally by yourself but it means there's two ways to look at the church and one of the ways a lot of people look at it is that they say mission is a function of the church in other words mission is that little area of the church that someone heads up and they're the mission director and they think of cool mission things to do and as long as we get enough people off into that side of the church then i'm doing my bit Mission's a function of the church but, but, but guys, have, if, if you, if you, have you looked at the book of Acts? <laughs> Remember the church in Antioch? You know, did, did, did it say there's, there's, there's Barnabas, the, the pastor teacher, and here's Paul, our missions director? <laughs> no, it said the Holy Spirit guided them and, and, and sent them both out. There. Everyone was involved in mission in that regard. And what it means for you tonight is that you've got a part to play in Northside's mission, whether or not we have a function that's called beyond Northside or not. I'm thankful to God that we are making inroads in that regard, but we are all part of it. We're all part of of doing mission. And so what it means for us is that mission is not a function of the church, but the church is a function of God's mission. God was the one doing all the activity here, and so it's the church's role for everyone to get involved with what God is doing. (laughs) What does that look like? You see, Paul's in in a house under arrest, chained to a Roman soldier, and yet within this city, within a couple of generations, it becomes the absolute heartland for global Christianity. How does that work? (laughs) It it works because within Christians ran into the plagues. They ran into the plagues. Within within fifty to one hundred and fifty years of, of, of Paul and this time in the book of Acts that we're reading about tonight, um there was incredible plagues all throughout Rome. And whilst all the Romans were deserting the city, there were people walking down the streets going in the opposite direction into the very heartland of the sickness, and they were the ones called the Christians. It's a known historical fact. Why would they they do that? Because they weren't afraid of death. Their saviour died to save them and and since he's risen again, they're not afraid of the future. And since he'd begun rehabbing the world, then why wouldn't they in the middle of a plague begin to rehab the world? You think about this. How how are Christians capable of that kind of boldness and courage and love and capability and greatness? You know why they're capable? It's not because the gospel was working for them. It wasn't working for them. They were getting killed for it. It was because the gospel was transforming them. Turn them into the sort of people in the middle of sickness was running in the opposite direction. And see what the mission of God does? It's far more sweeping. Where every other religion in the world is trying to escape the world, <laughs> the church of Jesus Christ is running into it. So if one person had to run into the plagues and died, that'd be maybe it's noble. Some people would think it's idiotic. But the Romans stood back and they saw a hundred, no, a thousand. Something's going on here. There's there's a story behind this. People in Rome began to ask, what is it? There's corporate implications to mission. You're not going to be effective if you try and do it by yourself. Mission's not a function of the church. The church is a function of God's mission. And then finally, there's individual implications for, for God's mission tonight for us. Verse 16, it says, When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself, With a soldier to guard him. Now, if you follow Paul in the book of Acts, it's sort of like a a cause approach to ministry. The cause, you know, the Irish band. They sang that song, Go On, Go On, Leave Me Breathless. Go On, Go On. Um, Paul leaves you breathless. Sorry, I had to say the cause, by the way, because Paul Dunn said that I had to mention the Irish in the sermon tonight, given Australia's loss to the Wallabies. (laughs) So, Maxie, if you're talking to your dad, It's been done. But getting back to it, Paul would leave you breathless. This was a guy who was constantly on the move. He was constantly around doing ministry. And surely the worst thing that could happen to this guy is that he'd get stuck in a house for two years. And yet here we discover on on, on getting to Rome that he's confined. He's stuck in the house. You know Where would he go? And I I, I bet the devil would be rubbing his hands on, I've got him now. I've got the gospel now. It's not getting out from here. I've trapped him. No, it, it, it wouldn't have worked like that. probably worked like this. Every morning a soldier would have come in and said, Caesar is Lord. Paul probably would have said, well, with due respect, dear soldier, no, Christ is Lord. And, 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 and the soldier would say, I knew you were going to say that, Paul. I knew you were going to say that again. And Paul would say, do you believe it? And it would go day after day after day for two years. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached Jesus Christ and the kingdom. And here's a question. How did he continue so diligently under house arrest for two years? I mean, this guy was a pocket rocket. This, this guy was always around the place. He's constantly on the move. How could he have not gone stir crazy in that place? And the answer is Paul had a mission. Paul had a mission. And the implication for you tonight is that you need a mission You need a mission. what do you mean when I need a mission? What's that? A mission's when your comfort and your position and your safety and your needs run second place to some greater cause in your life when there's something or someone more important to you than your own interests. Hebrews chapter 12 says, but for the joy set before him, (laughs) Jesus went before the cross and endured it, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. There's a paradox here. We hear that there was a cross set before Jesus, but there was also joy. And in the joy, he endures the cross. Why? Because Jesus had a mission. Jesus had a purpose and a cause that was greater than himself, and it was you. So you're asking, why do I need one? Look, you've got to have one because you've got to have something more important than yourself and your own selfish desires to live for. Why? Because your future, we've talked this through before, this is the definition of of Christian hope, your future determines how you act now. Your future, what you believe your future to be, completely shapes what you believe now and how you act. How else could Jesus endure what he did? And we see the same principle working in Paul's life, day after day for those two years, that his future, he had a mission, a clear future, a clear view of his future in God's kingdom. And it affected how he lived now. Jesus' kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, Jesus' kingdom. He keeps preaching the same thing. Guys, let me ask you tonight. Look, if, if if you live only for the sake of your own interests, what like what sort of life is that? Your own comfort, and your needs. What what is compelling about that? You, know, you don't say that. look when you ask kids what they want to do when they grow up. <laughs> you know, do they say, "Look, I hope I get a desk job in which I can really be the be the shaper of um, all my self fulfilling needs"? <laughs> they, don't, they don't say that. They say, "I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a fireman. I want to be a princess." <laughs> Don't say I'm a princess. <laughs> Come on, we, we know it deep down inside. We all want to live for something greater than ourselves, than our own self-fulfilling needs. You know What sort of life is that? If you want a big life, you've got to get into mission. It was true for Jesus, true for everyone. And the alternative is a diminished life, a, a, a fading life, and a, a, a wilting life. What do you mean? Look, we, we, we live in a generation in which we've... You know, isn't it true of the nature of our generation these days that like the, the whole purpose of life is just to find your, the, your means to fulfilling your own needs and your own happiness? And, and we see this incredible paradox is that we, we, we people are just as unhappy as ever in the midst of that because when your needs are the most significant thing in your life, it's not long before you realise that your life is not making a difference for anyone else. And ironically and paradoxically, you, you, you become to feel even more insignificant. The paradox is if your needs are the most important, you actually feel less important. You've got to live for something bigger than yourself. What does that look like? Look, I, I was over in America at the beginning of the year in Florida. I went to this place at uh, Cape Canaveral. It's called the Kennedy Space Center. And uh, I had always wanted to go to the Kennedy Space Center as a kid because the space shuttle mission started the year I was born and I'm a space shuttle kid through and through. And we went to the Kennedy Space Center. I, I just imagined this was going to be Disneyland for, for, for adults. And, and we get there as there's, there's rockets all around the place and, and I get in there and we're, we're traveling around and, and I noticed the staff are really grumpy. Oh, like I'm talking to the lady and I'm thinking, if you're working at Disneyland, this would be awesome. And she literally just throws a change across the counter and, and people couldn't be bothered sweeping the floors and there's tumbleweed going through the middle of this place. It didn't look like <laughs> Disneyland anymore. And I, I, went back, I went back home to where we were staying and I asked Laura, my friend who's a Florida la- uh, local on the Space Coast over there in Florida, I said, what is the deal with these people here? Is this just what you like in Florida? And she said, haven't you heard? I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, they've they've shut the space program down. People were depressed. People were lethargic. People couldn't care because they lost that sense of mission. One of the greatest things that ever came out of the American nation was the dream to move beyond, beyond our atmosphere, beyond our moon, beyond our solar system. And for the first time since the 1960s, that had been snuffed out. People no longer on that place had a mission, and it affected them. You need a mission, guys. You see how Paul, in the confines of a house arrest, continued to preach boldly and without hindrance for two years? How? Because his significance was not tied up in his circumstances. His significance was tied up in his mission. (laughs) Friend, are you living for something bigger tonight? Are you living for something bigger tonight? Is there, look, there is significance in being part of something beyond yourself. Just ask the staff at the Kennedy Space Centre. And what we see tonight is that God's mission is the mission that matters and it can't be shut down by a government decision. <laughs> our mission is to convince others of God's mission, corporately as a church and individually as witnesses of his transforming power in our lives. The sort of power that you saw tonight in baptism and the testimonies. Guys, you are a preview of God's great story of rescue. I love previews. I love movies. I'll leave you with my favourite one. I might have shared this before, but my favourite um, movie as a kid was called The Last Starfighter. It's about a guy called Alex Rogan, lived in a caravan park at the back of LA somewhere, played an arcade game called The Last Starfighter. And uh, and what he discovered is one day that someone came down from out of space, an alien, and said, greetings starfighter, you, you have been recruited to, 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 uh, to defend the frontier against Zur and the Kodan Armada. It, it whisks him into the car, it takes him up into space. He sees all these aliens and, and, and this entire other world out there. And, and, and he becomes part of this and the whole base gets blown up and it's just him left with his little friend. Alex, he's been missing for a number of weeks. His family is starting to get worried. His girlfriend Maggie is wondering where he's at. He comes down and, and, and one night there is this almighty rumble at the caravan park and as everyone walks up to the top hill, runs up there to see what is going on, they see a spaceship descend out of the sky and land outside the front of the caravan park. And from the top of this five-storey spaceship, Alex Rogan in... Space outfit comes down, helmet and all. He, he meets everyone. He tells them of this world that's out there, this other world. You, you wouldn't believe it, guys, but it's true. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. And he turns to his girlfriend, Maggie, and says, you can come with me. You can be a part of this. Come, join me. And as he holds out his hand to her, she says, well, what about Grandma? Grandma. I'm thinking, what about grandma? Take me to space, come on. (laughs) Guys, the book of Acts is not so much about the beginning of the church or people of great faith, but but the God, like a spaceship, came down and landed in the middle of a caravan park. That's what Bethlehem was, for crying out loud. (sighs) And confirmed once and for all that there is something other than this world. And like Alex Rogan, Jesus Christ comes down from heaven, comes down. And and he holds out his hand to you tonight through his scripture. And he says, come join me on a mission in this other world that you cannot believe. And sadly, some of you tonight, if you're not a believer in him, are going to turn around and say, what about grandma? Grandma. What about Grandma? Guys, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, God is on a secret mission to rehab the world, and he's doing it through his church, and he's doing it through individuals like you and I. You can be, you are to be a preview for the most incredible, wonderful, unbelievable story that this world has ever seen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father... We just thank you for Jesus tonight. We thank you in a world that is broken, that is decaying, that we can't find answers for around us, that there is something other, that there is something different. And you call us into that through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, as we have travelled through these words of yours, thousands of these words of yours in the book of Acts, may we be ever more convicted as a small church on this little corner of the earth. That the story is not over. That Acts was just the end of the beginning. And now, as a church united, as a church empowered by your Holy Spirit, we continue to live it out, to walk it out, to preview that story to the rest of the world. Help us do it. You did it through your Holy Spirit, it's how you'll do it today. And in that way, we pray this. In Jesus' name. Amen.